thick and thin hoops where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? The Miami Heat were 100-1 to just to make the finals uh, before the season started. So now that we've actually lived that reality, I don't think we can start anywhere else but an unbelievable seven-game series versus Boston. They take it home. 1-10, to you're just, just the shock, level of shock. Where are you at right now? I don't think big, it's big act- picture, not going into just game seven, just big picture, big picture. Definitely shocking. Uh, I think everyone had this heat team for dead back in the play. I mean, I think the fact is they lost the first playing game. It's not even like from the play in moment on, they were dominating. They struggled right out the gate. Uh, big picture. This is a huge, huge surprise because they had to get through the play in. They had to get through Milwaukee. They had to get through. I mean, the Knicks, fine. But Milwaukee and Boston, two teams who I think we'd both say, and I think the betting, the books probably had them as the betting favorites to win the finals at the beginning yep. of the postseason. Yep. Maybe with Phoenix uh, sprinkled in there. So big picture, this is impressive. And um, I think this is the first finals matchup with no first uh, all-NBA players since, like, I forgot what year, but at least for 30 years. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So it was a surprise they got here as an eight seed. It was a surprise. They were able to weather the storm from Boston, you know, game seven at in the garden. I think, uh, yeah, man, it's it it didn't feel like that because they went up 3-0 and they almost choked it away. But this was an incredible, incredible achievement. Yeah. I mean, look. The funny thing about this Heat team is this core went to the finals already once and then was also the one seed just last season. It was in game seven at home in the conference finals. So if you put that and you just throw the seeds aside, you just remember that. It doesn't seem that surprising that the Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo led Heat are back into the finals. But when you take in everything you just said, the eight seed, losing the first play-in, being down in the fourth quarter versus Chicago in the second play-in, again going up against the Bucks, like, I would say, what would you argue? Ninety-eight percent of people picked either the Bucks or the Celtics to represent the East, if yep. not higher, right? I mean, maybe there was a couple Sixers predictions, people trying to be cute, etc. Um, nobody obviously had any other teams but those three, and to go through both of them um, in the way that they did—five games handily of the Bucks. I know Giannis was hurt, but still, he played enough for that to be on his resume. And then the three-zero lead collapsed, three-three on a game-winning buzzer beater with 0.1 seconds left, then to just lay the smackdown uh, last night was... I mean, there's no more words you can use to describe guys like Eric Spolstra, but whatever it is that you look for in a coach, and I think the idea of what makes a great coach can still be a bit nebulous, um, but whatever that recipe is, he's got it all, right? Because his players respond to him. Every single guy plays better under him. They play hard. They play tough. Even the first quarter, when the first, before they started hitting shots, it started looking a little nervous. You know, they were down, I think, five or seven. They weren't really getting – they were getting good looks. They just weren't going down. There's never panic with this team. Absolutely never. Uh, doesn't mean that they're always going to win, but it does mean that they're always going to be competing. And, you know, we joke about heat culture a lot, but, like, that is heat culture personified. I mean, as an NBA fan, I don't think there's – a more impressive run to the finals than the one they just pulled off. Probably not. And you have to add in the fact, yes, there were one seed last year, but very different season this year. Hero was injured. He might come back now for, he's going to come back for the finals. Most likely um, you're, you're getting, you know, Lowry is a shell of himself. You're not getting the same kind of contributions you were maybe the last couple of years. Yeah. And then at the same time, like Spolstra, you talk about Spolstra game seven, He's still pulling tricks out the bag. Like apparently <laughs> they started switching. They switched on almost every pick and roll in game seven, which they were not doing all series. So he's throwing things out there, confusing the Boston offense. And I think the mark of a good coach, as much as we like to say, you know, there are a lot of good offensive coaches. We talk about Dan Tony. We talk about um, a lot of these offensive gurus. The best coaches always make their bones on defense and they're consistently good at defense. You know, we talk about pop. Talk about Spo, Spo every year, no matter what roster he has, they are in the postseason, know how to turn it up, get deflections, get timely stops, 
make every game a slugfest. And then it's all about whether they have enough offense. And this series, they got enough shooting. They got enough contributions out of Martin, out of Vincent. Um, You know, even with Bam and Jimmy having up and down games every now and then, the fact that they're able to still win, like the, the crazy thing is Jimmy has not been that good since the Milwaukee series. He's been good, but my point is his numbers, you actually look at him, are relatively pedestrian. Yeah, Um, I mean, the Milwaukee series is where he went for 56 in Game 5 and things like that. He hasn't been doing those things, and and more often than not, he actually hasn't played. Like, if you look at the seven games, he didn't really play well in, like, three or four of them. Offensively, at least, right? They They didn't need him in all of them, but basically, games three, four, five, six, he wasn't that dominant. And even tonight, he got off to a slow start before running into form, which brings us to Caleb Martin. And I want to get to Bam in a second. Cause, yeah, you know, I know you've compl- got some thoughts on Bam. We're in complimentary mode of the, of the Heat, <laughs> so why ruin that with any talk about Bam Autobio right now? But Caleb Martin, undrafted, cut by the Hornets, was a rookie of 24, the exact archetype of dude who's playing for Olympiacos by the age of 28. Instead, he's starting in the freaking conference finals he's playing basically 40 minutes a night and he was straight up better than the guy who's about to get a five-year 295 million dollar extension his counterpart on the other side jalen brown so i am absolutely stunned uh this is the classic heat shit and i think i said this on the pod a couple weeks ago i'm so glad i don't have a disdain for the heat like i do for so many other big market teams because nothing would piss me off more than a guy like caleb martin absolutely popping off all series he had a 73% true shooting percentage over the course of this series, averaged 20 a game after averaging nine a game during the regular season. And it wasn't just the scoring. Like some people were drawing comparisons to Danny Green in 2013 and some other performances. This dude was taking guys off the dribble. He was like initiating offense. He was running around screens and pin downs. Like it was as if the offense was designed for him rather than him just being a player that got hot. I'm not sure I could ever remember a dude who took on that level of the role in terms of just usage from seemingly nowhere to do it all series. Yeah, you'll have a game or two. You'll have the Grant Williams 7-3 game, whatever. To do it all series and to consistently be that good. By the way, he only started two games in the series, which is the amazing thing. Um, and I just, between him and like you said, Vincent and Struess and some of these guys, like Duncan Robinson just pulling a rabbit out of his hat after being benched for basically two years, like, unreal performance up and down that roster to actually support the stars. Unlike the other way around, which is usually how you see it, where the stars are, you know, killing it and it's the bench guys who let you down. Well, that's the thing. That's a sh- the shot creation from Caleb Martin was what was impressive. He had that Kobe fade away. You see like the, um, yeah, where he comes around the baseline and then, uh, I no, not the baseline one, the one where he's kind of in the post, he like pivots and he does it's the oh, exact yeah, yeah. same move yeah. set as Kobe. It actually was the T-Mac move where he came on the baseline and rather than passing it out, he whips around and hits the jumper. So he yep. was basically a pseudo version of Kobe, <laughs> and, Kobe T-Mac and T-Mac with a little Ray Allen sprinkled in when he felt like it. But I think usually when these guards, these no-name, not no-name, but like guards come out of nowhere, it's when they just get hot from three. I think like to your point, it's the shot creation, scoring from all over. The fact that they could rely on him as an offensive kind of elite option. Um. That's why I think it's kind of, I mean, I don't think he's as good as what his numbers were this series, but I think he's actually a solid player. Um, I think this series proved it. Sometimes it's just about getting the, the minutes and the confidence. And But, I mean, the whole te- Heat team is a whole on offense, man. They played with the contrast between watching the Heat offense and the Celtics offense. Like, they were whipping the ball around. Even Duncan Robinson was taking guys off the dribble, right, taking it to the rack. Back Everyone cuts. was moving, cutting. The ball was popping around. And when the Heat offense kind of gets bogged down, it's because they're just limited talent-wise. Uh, and Jimmy can usually bail them out of those situations. But contrast that to Boston, and it was a wreck, man. Like, this team, I don't understand. I, like We've watched this core for several years now. And I don't understand why they look so uncomfortable playing with each other down the stretch. And... I know part of it is just the way Tatum Brown operate, but it's it, it's infuriating if you're a Boston fan watching that offense. Like last night was, they couldn't get anything going. Yeah, let's talk about the Celtics for a little bit because we'll come back to the Heat in in uh, 
in the discussion versus the Nuggets in the finals here. So the Celtics, and we'd covered this, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart have been in five conference championship finals. Tatum has been in four. They've all played in one finals. They've basically had some version of this core for the last six to seven years. And it's been incredibly successful. Uh, make no doubt about that, right? I would say at least. They have not gotten a title. It's the one thing they haven't accomplished. And in terms of winning, in terms of playoff success, they're about as you know decorated as any non-LeBron, non-Warriors kind of uh, run during the same time period. So from all that standpoint, it's nothing to freak out yet about, in my opinion. You still have Jason Tatum is 24. You have Jalen Brown is 26. Like those guys, whether or not they get le- like leaps and bounds better, they're definitely going to get some incremental better. But it is so strange to see a team that, you know, halfway through the year, they were like the best offense of all time. Then they cooled off a little bit, still finished top two. So reliant on the three. But the problem with their three pointers is that they just fired them off with reckless abandon. Very, very similar to the Harden Rockets where it's not even necessarily good three-point shooters shooting. It's just taking threes because it's the better math equation. And when things bog down, they don't have any way to get to the rim. I mean, they were sending Derek White as their one guy who was ISOing Gabe Vincent. Like, of all the players and all the money on the cap sheet, Derek White was the dude who was basically the only guy who could break down the Heat's defense. And everybody else would just stand there, maybe do a couple moves with Tatum. It's a sidestep three with Jalen Brown, step back, whatever. But all it was is just like, and it's like we've played 2K long enough where you can't just stand there and just like shoot threes. Like you you won't get the right release and it'll just miss, right? So we know that, that the computer defense is just locked on you no matter what. So that's how I felt watching the the Heat offense. Um, sorry, the Celtics offense. And the worst part for them is like, what do you do in terms of, I, I, we can get to the Jalen Brown conversation with, you know, sort of how to move forward with him. But to me, the bigger question is like, how do you change up the muckiness of your offense if this is your core? Because these guys aren't fundamentally changing who they are. I that's that's the million dollar question. I don't know how. Uh, one option is Horford might be running his course, and you might need a big who can kind of play out the high post and do a little bit, who's a little bit more of a playmaker and a shooting threat which Horford has, is, is kind of a shell of himself at this point. I think if you have a big like that and have the other players all play off of him, uh, you know, kind of DHOs, let him play out the high post, cutter, guys can cut. I think they don't have that kind of big. They don't have that passing ability from their front court. And because the wings, I don't think Jalen and, and Tatum are, at this point are going to change that much. So I, I really think they need a big who can facilitate. Where do you get that? They don't grow on trees, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, no. Or the other option is, you, I mean, we'll have the ta- the Jalen conversation, or they have to find a way to kind of break those two up, but you don't want to do that either because as much as it's disappointing they didn't get to the finals, like you said, if they've been this close so many times, it's one of those things where they're going to break through at one point. You just need things to go right. But I don't, I, And I don't believe that you can be up 2-1 in the NBA Finals with Game 4 at home and not be a championship-worthy team. And those two are not championship-worthy players. I just don't fundamentally believe it, because I think all life and sports is, not to get too Confucius on everyone here, but it's just about extending your probability set, right? And extending a number of like outcomes that favor you. It's not a guarantee to do anything. You don't trade for any guy, and it's a guarantee for a championship. It could be a guarantee to, to have some outcomes that favor you, and I think... At the end of the day, if you're up 2-1 in the finals, then you've figured out a way to put yourself in a contention. Now, you could argue very easily that your window has passed, and that's a different conversation. But if you look around the East, I'm not sure that it has, right? You have Brooklyn, sorry, not Brooklyn, uh, Milwaukee, who may not be able to bring back both Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton, right? You have the Sixers, who seem to be all but lost James Harden to Houston. Like That's picked up so much momentum, it's almost like a done deal, it feels like. And then what do they go from there? If they just replace him with nothing, that's not an upgrade to last year's team. And then you have Miami, who's going to be there. But again, a year older, the Celtics have beaten them in the playoffs, so it's not like they can't. I would pick the Celtics as the favorite for next year's playoffs, in the East, at least. And so that's where it comes to being a kind of a strange situation. You know, Cleveland's not ready, et cetera. That's where it comes to be a strange situation, because these Jalen Brown numbers are seriously 
painful to read. Um, he took 134 shots at 133 points. He shot 16% from three. He averaged 3.4 assists to, let's see, 25. He had almost four turnovers a game. And when Tatum got hurt in the biggest moment, he wasn't the guy to step up. In fact, he played worse after the ankle injury. And so you're stomaching this contract extension. You're trying to figure out everything else around it. But but do you feel like their window has closed or do you think this is a blip? It's a bad season. Let's run it back. The window hasn't closed. I, I'm actually more on the side of you run it back. You have, you know, if you're healthy next year, you can talk yourself, whether you get Missoula some help or year two coaching, you know, that part of it's fixed. Um, you get Gallinari back. I, the thing is, though, there's a human element to it, right? So there's this idea of, yeah, you extend your probability or your highest probabilities with this roster, and eventually you'll break through. But I don't know. Like, these guys have been together for so long. At some point, is it just wearing on them? Is it a coincidence that last year they dropped a 2-1 lead? This year, they almost choked versus the uh, Sixers. They did choke against the Heat when they had a chance to wrap it up. This is also a team that even against LeBron, the 2018, they choked up 3-2. This is a team that, for some whatever reason, as good as they are, the formula, whenever things get tight, never works. And the issue is like, okay, obviously you want to keep this team together next year, but you're going to have to make decisions to do that. You're going to have to pay Jalen Brown. You're going to have to decide if you want to keep rolling with Horford. So it's not... It makes the most sense that this will be the best chance of winning next year. But at the same time, you're making decisions that maybe you want to see things a little bit ahead of time and make changes now, but I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll also talk themselves into the fact that they got it to seven. They didn't get swept. If they got swept. Maybe more wholesale changes come, but I think they can probably justify that. Look, we were close. We'll try it again next year. And I think their problem, I think their problem right now just structurally is they don't have a true point guard. Marcus Smart is not that. I think he's one of the more overrated players in the league because he wears that jersey and he plays for that franchise. He's talked about like he's someone he's not, in my opinion. I just don't think he's that good of a player. I'm sure he's a team leader and all that stuff. Yeah, sure, great. But he's not a starting point guard on that level of team. He he can be. I mean, obviously he did it last season, so anything we're saying is all within the context of the fact that they did go to the finals last season. They went to game seven of the conference finals this year. But I just think that they don't, part of the reason that they don't get good shots down the stretch is because he can't get others good shots. And Tatum doesn't do it yet for everyone. He kind of mostly does it for himself. He has some games. I think it was a game three or game four where he had like 11 assists and like the whole deal and everyone freaked out. Um, Jalen Brown, obviously he wants to pass, but the second his hand goes to do that, the ball immediately (laughs) spins off of it into opposing defenses. So they don't really have a guy who can get the sets set up. Even look at the way Kyle Lowry was playing in Miami, right? Kyle Lowry is beyond washed at this point. Can't shoot, can't really do anything, but he's so heady. He was getting guys open looks, right? He was getting the offense rolling. When you needed a bailout shot, he could take it. Like Kyle Lowry was pretty pedestrian the whole series, yet it just felt more like things were under control when he was on the floor. So even if they just had an adult in the room to run the offense in that regard, I think they would be better off. You could also go the other way, which is you blow up the Jalen-Jason Tatum combo and go get a guy like Damian Lillard, right? Where really upgrade the point guard position to the max amount that you can. So I think you have those two options. I don't think you can bring back, if you think of their top four as Jalen, Jason, Marcus Smart, and Derek White, and maybe five Robert Williams, just because Al Horford's, you know, he's old and he may be even retiring. I don't think you can bring back that top five. I think you have to make changes there. It doesn't mean you have to go all the way to the top. It does mean you got to do something differently that's going to give you a different look on offense. They may make wait a year to make that change, though. I, I think they'll re-sign Jalen. I don't think that they'll let him go. And But you're right. I think it's playmaking. I don't know if it needs to be in the form of a guard. I think it could. Like I said, it could be in the form of a big. They just need someone to help facilitate and get that offense out the mud. And they've got, I mean, Jalen and Tatum are going to take their own possessions every game. They have the ball in their hands so much, I don't see that changing. Um, But I think defensively, too, they, I mean, Jalen Brown was not that good defensively. 
And I think that's the worry, worrisome thing. Like this guy's supposed to be a two-way player. He struggled on both ends this series. And granted, it's a tough matchup with Jimmy and yada yada. Tatum is, is good defensively, but Smart has not been that good defensively after last year. I think this whole team has just not looked as good as it was last year. And we're still holding on to this idea of them. Like, you know, we always talk about the, the two-way potential you know, potential of every single player. I don't know. I think they might have more problems than we let on, but at the same time, there's no one in the East that's really that intimidating besides Milwaukee. So there's no yeah, real just by their talent, they, just by their talent, they'll win mid fifties and be like a top two or three seed next year. No question. You could put that in the bank, in my opinion. It is fair that they're probably getting a little sick of each other. And that's probably why the defense has shown cracks too, right? Where you're just not communicating as much. Your chemistry is not as good. Um, but anyway, all right. Anything else on the postmortem of the Celtics? No, I think. Um... Do they trade Jalen Brown this summer? No. I think once you sign up, I think there'll be teams willing to pay Jalen Brown. I don't think. I, you think, I think would If you were the Kings. Knowing they have a hole at small forward, will you feel comfortable paying him five years, two hundred ninety-five million? No. After that dribbling expose we just watched. No. no, because we're gonna have to cough up a lot of draft capital, and we're gonna have to pay Sabonis and Jalen Brown. We're gonna have a lot of money tied to a roster that I still doesn't give me that much confidence is a contender. Factoring the fact that you're gonna have to give up a lot of picks. What does so, that say about Jalen Brown then? You'd have huh? three all NBA players on one team. You oh, still don't yeah. feel great about it. <laughs> I I think it would be good. I just I I want to see what the price is. He's gonna have a market and the price is gonna be steep. To to me, what I think is gonna happen is something similar to what happened with Rudy Gobert in Utah, where he qualified for the Supermax. They didn't give it to him in full. They gave him something above the regular max, but below the supermax. So maybe that was like five, six million off per year. I could see something like that. Now, will that offend him if he doesn't get the full boat? Maybe. He seems to be a little bit mercurial, a little bit prickly, so who knows? It's also way more than any other team can offer him, but he might just say, fuck it, I'm going to go to free agency and, and take my chances elsewhere. So, you know, you never know what can and can't piss off these guys. It's almost anything. Do you think right. Boston should have pulled the trigger on that a Durant deal? No, because I think from what we've seen with Durant, he's just not durable enough to count on. Um, and he got hurt again this year. He missed a chunk of time. Then he came back. He sprained his ankle in warm-ups, got hurt. And it didn't necessarily impact his minutes in the playoffs, but he didn't look fresh. He didn't look healthy to me. Like, he was taking shots. It looked hard. And to be honest, there's a whole separate conversation about Durant kind of looking like that in the last few postseasons, which really skews what I think Phoenix was thinking about when they paired him with Booker. Um, and he's maybe not aging quite the way we thought. Um, so that's a whole different conversation. But if I was Boston, I would not have done that. Because I don't think that that necessarily gives you the win um, versus versus uh, Miami today or yesterday. And actually, it wasn't even necessarily Jalen Brown straight up for Durant. I think they had to put in something else. So who knows what else that would have gone out the door that would have uh, hurt their depth. Would you? I don't think so, given what we've seen from Durant. But at the same time, can you imagine Durant like just... When they need a bucket in these situations, he's not yeah. going to turn it over the same way. He's more reliable. I just feel like that could be enough to push him over the edge. Like we're talking about razor thin margins here. They lost in seven. Yeah, fuck it. We should. They should have done that trade. I agree. <laughs> and then I mean I don't know, but it's it's easy to say in hindsight, right? They could have easily won this and then. They're ahead. Of, the Suns are sitting at home. They lost in the second round, and the Celtics are in the finals. So, it's hard. Well, I mean, yeah. So we'll see. It's going to be a tough off season, and then you know, Jason Tatum. I've been a little bit less harsh on him for last night's performance, just because he clearly got hurt thirty seconds in. What I'm hearing from a lot of other people who aren't going as light is just how uh, inconsistent he can be game to game. 
And he does show out in big games. I think he has like the fourth or fifth highest points per game total in game sevens. However, it is fair to say that on a nightly basis, you don't exactly know what you're getting from him. And for a back-to-back first-team All-NBA guy, that is pretty shocking. Um, Just to have that night-to-night inconsistency, um, especially when your offense is not looking great and they sort of need you to be Superman. Yeah, when you're top, when you're talked about as a top five, top seven player in the league, your floor needs to be pretty high night to night. That's the frustrating thing with him. I mean, we just eviscerated Harden for he had two big games, but then he also shit the bed and Embiid, right? Like, and we say these guys need to be more consistent because you can't afford right. to go cold. Because if you're a superstar, your all NBA guy goes cold, it takes like so much more to pull you out of that kind of hundred percent, hundred percent. So I think it's totally fair. Uh, but I think it's also fair to recognize he has had big games. He's not a choker. He's not someone who does not play well under the bright lights. It's just he cannot do it consistently, and that's disappointing. Um, well, and that kind of is what separates, you know, sort of the guys who have statues of themselves versus the guys who are Hall of Famers. Tatum is going to be a Hall of Famer. Is he going to be a guy that's a two, three-time champion? We'll see. We still haven't seen today's grades get to that beyond LeBron, Steph, Kawhi, KD, right? Giannis has one. Jokic has zero for now. You know, Luka obviously hasn't gotten there yet. Tatum hasn't gotten there yet. So, like, the next generation, like, it's sort of there for the taking. None of them have really broken through in, you know, meaningful way or, like, a consistent way. So I think it's very interesting to see kind of how he comes back from this because there are things in his game he's got to work on as well, injury aside. I still think he just has some bad habits too that he needs to shake a bit. Um, the, some of the shot selection, some of the he starts to. Um, I don't know. I, I think sometimes he loses sight of what uh, how to play toward in a game that's getting out of control. Yeah, but these are all nitpicks, right? He's an amazing player. I think we're just talking about top five. So at some point, I mean, we're nitpicking. Yep. All right. So uh, let's move on. I think the, I, I don't know. I have to actually check, but the Nuggets are still in the playoffs, right? <laughs> <laughs> they haven't played in what feels like weeks. Dude, yeah. Was... That series Lakers Nuggets <laughs> feels like a month ago. So I think it ended a week from yesterday. It ended Monday night of last week, the, the, the 22nd. By the time they play again, they'll have 10 days off. Um, Usually it's like this rest versus rust thing. Like, how are they going to come out? Obviously, they've been practicing, staying in shape, but nothing like live NBA basketball, much less the finals. Pretty much every single player on that team's first time through this, except KCP, who did win a ring and it was without fans. So (laughs) when you think about just like the lack of experience uh, on the side of the Nuggets, it's massive. Now, the Heat don't have a ton. I mean, Kyle Lowry won a title, but Jimmy, Bam, and... Hero and Robinson all played in the bubble as well. So they actually haven't played with fans either in their finals trip. Um, Kevin Love, though, has won a title and has been a lot of high leverage situations. So, you know, experience probably tilts Miami a little bit. But when you think about this series, let's, let's just start with Denver on offense. Maybe the zone gave Boston all sorts of trouble. Um, they went small as well, which all screwed up Boston a little bit. They couldn't start their Rob Williams, Al Horford front court. Denver, no matter who they're playing, no matter what they're doing, they know they're starting five. It's without doubt. It's Jamal Murray. It's KCP. It's MPJ. It's Aaron Gordon. It's Jokic. That is the best lineup in basketball and has been all season. What do you think their keys are to kind of breaking down the zone, breaking down Miami's defense, and and sort of who do you give the favor on that side of the ball? I think it definitely has to go to Denver. The zone – Denver's a team built to pick apart the zone. They play with a big out of the high post. They have cutters. They have shooters. They're great at moving the ball. That's literally what you do to break a zone. And actually, they were the they were top six team, I think sixth in the NBA, against um, zone defense this year in terms of offensive efficiency. So they are really good against the zone, and I think that the Heat might have to adjust on that end of the floor. I think the Bam, Jokic, they're going to draw Bam out. Uh, you know, he's not going to be as effective at protecting the rim. Um, that opens up things 
down low. You know, like we saw this with with Anthony Davis to some extent. I think, um, and they're just bigger. I think Denver's is has size. Miami plays a little small, uh, and a lot of their starting lineup, you know, they they play with a lot of guards and smaller wings. So that's going to be hard for them to keep up. So I actually think that Denver can get what they want. But that being said, I think there's still a part of me that see, uh, that sees Denver. They can get tight and the shooting can fall off and Miami thrives in those situations. I think the Lakers couldn't punish Denver enough offensively mm-hmm. when, you know, because Denver did have stretches where they tr- struggled scoring the ball you know, Jamal Murray would pop off in most games, but there were times where they really, Jokic disappeared in a lot of those fourth quarters. They were yeah. gassed. I just think the Lakers could not capitalize. And I think watching Miami's offense in the last series, they're so disciplined. Um, but anyways, we'll get to Miami on offense, but I think my issue with Denver really is that the shooting, Miami's de- de- defensive discipline is something they haven't faced yet and could make things challenging. But all that said, I don't think that they're going to struggle that much on offense. Yeah, so I, I kind of see Jokic as the ultimate zone buster, right? Because the way to break the zone is passing, especially from the middle of the court. And who thrives the most at kind of getting the ball in the high post and running his thing? It's, uh oh yeah, it's two-time MVP, one of the greatest players we've ever seen. Jokic is going to do one of two things, I think. He's going to get the ball up there. He's going to start to push towards the rim. If he feels the pressure, the double team, He's going to find open three-point shooters. And if he doesn't, if he gets single covered or the zone doesn't really collapse around him, he's just going to go straight to the rim and bully ball, whether it's Kevin Love or whether it's um, Bam Adebayo. Now, the Heat, what they're going to have to do and what's most effective, and if there's one guy to figure this out, it's Spolstra. You have to bring the double from where he can't see it. Now, this is pretty hard, obviously, because Jokic has eyes in the back of his head, pretty much has 360-degree view at all times. So it's not like it's easy to necessarily fool him that way. But, you know, he has had some problems at time. I think the Warriors did a good job of this at times in last year's playoffs where they where they're doubling down on him. Granted, they were helping off Facundo Campazzo so they could do it a little bit more aggressively uh, than with this year's team. But it does feel like there's some element of that. I think they're going to try to make Aaron Gordon beat them just like the Lakers did, because I think what's going to happen is they're not going to start the small lineup again which might be crazy eh, that Caleb Martin might be going back to the bench, but I don't see how they don't start Kevin Love in this series because if you ask Bam to guard Jokic, he's going to get worn out. He's going to get in foul trouble, and they really don't have another viable backup big. Like Cody Zeller will play in the series, and that's going to get – that's barbecue chicken, uh, respectfully to Cody Zeller. So I think Kevin Love has to play, and I think that means they put Bam on Aaron Gordon and let him play center field rover and allow him to help off, and Gordon has to make shots. Um, But I just think, you know, with Jokic's skill set, his passing, his vision, it's not going to be difficult for them to break up a zone. It just will require a little bit more, um, I think, aggression from from Miami to double at the right times. Yeah, and Miami has been very good at that. Um, I actually, yeah, I think what will be interesting to see is – how they use Aaron Gordon, like you said, on offense, and Miami's going to be willing to to give him give up shots to him. Um, they're going to play t- close on Jamal Murray on all the shooters. Uh, so I think a lot of it, this might be really dependent on Aaron Gordon. I think Jokic is going to get his his offense. I think he's going to be able to pass. I think he'll have a great series. They're going to try to limit everyone else. Uh, so, like you said, maybe the strategy is they let Bam rove. Uh, we saw the Lakers try that, and everyone, you know, for a split second was like, oh, yeah, just leave Rui on Jokic and let AD row, but that didn't solve everything either. So I don't think that's necessarily going to stop Denver, but I think it can slow them down. Um, and I don't know, do they choose, you know, they can use Jimmy Butler. Do they choose to use him on Jamal Murray and have him kind of shadowing him, at least in the fourth quarter? Maybe that's the they stretch. have up their yeah. sleeve, but at the same time, they want to save Jimmy for his offense. So, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see where they hide Gabe Vincent, right? Because if we, what we learned from Derek white is that Gabe Vincent, you know, he's a hardworking defender, but he can be bullied a little bit on the way to the rim. Jamal Murray will feast on that, right? He'll, he, he took D He destroyed D whenever he was on the court. It was one of the reasons they had to move to Dennis Schroeder and Reeves pretty much in the backcourt. So 
to me, I think Murray, you can't guard Vincent on Murray. But where do you put Vincent? Because if you put him on KCP, yeah, he's mostly a knockdown shooter, but he has a little bit of you know juice off the dribble. So if I had to guess, I'd say that you know whether when they're not in zone, they start Vincent on KCP. They probably put Struess on Jamal Murray just to start because you don't want to burn too much of Jimmy's energy. Then you got Jimmy on Porter, uh, Bam on K Love, and sorry, Bam on. Uh, Gordon and then Caleb on uh, New York. But what's crazy is Porter's not even going to see Jimmy Butler, right? Like he's just going to be able to rise right up. He, he's got like three or four inches on him, which is another just fascinating wrinkle to the Nuggets offenses. They're so freaking big in the front court between Porter, Jokic, and Gordon. To your point, like Miami plays a lot of small lineups when they bring Caleb Martin in, when they bring Kyle Lowry in, Duncan Robinson, like those are basically like the eight gate guys plus the starters that are going to play. I don't know how they're going to contest with some of those big lineups from Miami, from Denver, because they'll punish you. They can still get out in transition. They can still hit open threes. They're cutting, moving, passing. Like, this is going to be an offensive test like they have not seen, especially after getting seven games of Boston standing around and then just pressing square on the on the D-pad. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be um, – they're going to have a really tough time guarding Denver. But who doesn't? I think every team – Who doesn't, yeah. Uh, struggles with that it so oh one more thing i want to say you know Jokic was gassed a lot of those fourth quarters i kind of think he's going to be able to rest a little bit more because part of the reason he was gassed is he had to almost match ad's minutes and they don't really have this is where i get into the bam hate because they don't have a guy who's going to punish them down low bam Adebayo is sitting here being guarded by Derek white in the low post Instead of turning around and dunking it on his head, what does he do? He shoots this little stupid jump hook that immediately bricks off the rim. Like, we're getting to the point where Zach Lowe and Kevin Pelton, like the nerds of NBA basketball lore, are talking about how amazing his screens are. (laughs) Let me remind you, the last guy we did this for when we were trying to build him up as a superstar was... Who? Who? Certain guy that was in Utah. Oh, Gobert? Yeah, exactly. And we heard about the screen assist and the advanced numbers and why he was better than Donovan Mitchell. And then, you know what? They were down 10 versus the Clippers in the conference semifinals. And it was like, hey, Gobert, can you help us come back? And it's like, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. I'm not uh, I'm not a scorer of that caliber. And that's exactly how I feel about Bam. I don't want to hear about his screens. I don't want to hear about his anything on offense. The guy is a total shell of himself at any given moment. And the way he played in game six and game seven was seriously an embarrassment. Um I don't know what his final shooting numbers were in the series, but just miserable, was so tentative, and Jokic is going to eat him alive if he does that versus Denver. Yeah, I've given up on Bam offensively. I think he's he can only get his points in the flow of a game. Anytime the offense needs a bucket from him, he he goes into his little back down dribble, his little like he's got no touch, no footwork. It, he seems to be very like a lot more graceful when he's playing in the like flow of an offense. But anytime he's asked to do anything by himself, it's a train wreck. And I, I absolutely agree. I think it's going to be if you can't depend on him at all, it's going to be t- that gives Jokic a lot of leeway defensively. You're not going to take yeah. advantage of that. You're not going to put him in foul trouble. You're not going to put him in, in in minutes. You know, with like where he's playing a ton of minutes and is going to be gassed in the fourth quarter. So it's going to come back to bite the heat unless Bam can turn into, I don't know, like how, how did he do in the finals? I forget in the bubble. Was he, well, he was hurt, factor? right? But so he didn't play for a big he, chunk yeah, of that. That's what I remember. Yeah. He didn't play for, for some, some part of that. He didn't play, but he was great. I mean, the thing is he's actually normally great versus Boston too. He just, because he's such a good athlete, I feel like Horford has trouble with him, but he just can't, I don't know, like you look at his career playoffs, like I'm just looking at it right now, his career high in the playoffs was actually the bubble where he averaged 18 a game. Since then, it's 15, 14, 17. And the shooting is all the way down to 49% from the field this year. He obviously doesn't shoot threes. And so he's good defensively, obviously, great, really. You know, he's good on the glass, but just how much he doesn't make you pay is giving me shades of DeAndre Ayton right now. Um, and which is ironic because 
Bam was considered the poster child for what we wanted Aiden to become when we thought Bam was ascending in that way. Especially when you consider like Bam's regular season, he's at 20 a game, 10, 9, 10 rebounds. He's an all-star. He's a two-time all-star actually. And so to not get that version from him nightly is, is very disappointing in my opinion. Maybe this is not who he is, and we're expecting something. That's, no, Aiden's Aiden actually a really great comparison because um, you know there are those possessions where you can tell Aiden is like he's made up his mind he's going to try to score, um, and then it just looks so awkward as he tries to pull some kind of move and back the defender down, and it's never fluid. Bam is starting to look like that to me, and I never really thought of him as that player, but I'm seeing it more and more where. Yeah. You can tell when he decides he wants to try to score, be aggressive, and it never works out. Yeah, never might be might be a little bit a bit of a stretch, but it's does not consistently work out. Yeah, um, but ultimately for the Heat on offense, I think it's gonna it it's gonna be the same thing that got them here. It's gonna be they need to stay hot. Their shooting needs to be. Um, Duncan Robinson will continue to get minutes. You got Kevin Love now, like you said, who's gonna get more minutes. That will help with the shooting. Um, they need to continue shooting like that from three. That's their only hope. Uh, I don't think they've got, you know, Aaron Gordon is going to be on Jimmy Butler. Maybe not all the time, but that is a much bigger, stronger, good physical defender. That's mm-hmm. going to give Butler, you know, a little bit of difficulty. So it's going to come down to the shooters and how well they they, they shoot. And I, that seems like a very simple analysis. But I think for Miami, that's the only way you win is you continue that hot shooting stretch. It definitely feels like one of those series where the the Heat are going to murder the Nuggets' second unit, right? Yeah. Like when we get a lot of um, Jeff Green and Bruce Brown and sort of um, some of these other guys, like Christian Brown, if he plays, I don't know if he's going to play in the series or not. Like it just feels like one of those series, like when Jokic sits, they have to basically have, be like, on their P's and Q's and Jamal Murray has to carry him. They have to stagger more than they've ever staggered before. Um, and, you know, typically during the season, Jamal Murray with the bench unit was not good, but it has been good in the playoffs. So it's like, okay, is this going to continue? And so I think that's, um, that is critical to win them, at least draw even in the non Jokic minutes because Miami could hit four threes in a, in like a minute or two, just because Duncan Robbins, you know, got loose or Kyle Lowry or whoever, they have so many shooters, Again, they shot the ball really poorly this year, but they were the number one shooting team in the league last season from three. And so mostly brought everyone back. And it so that means it doesn't necessarily strike you as crazy that they've been able to shoot this well, but it is, um, you know, we saw a large sample size of the whole season. It didn't, never recovered, and now, it, now it's come back. So, yeah, they got to keep up that hot shooting. And I think the other thing is Jimmy is does, they don't really have a great matchup for Jimmy. I think KCP starts on him, but KCP is good of a defender as he is. And he guarded LeBron, by the way, for stretches of that Lakers series. He's still giving up a good amount of muscle to Jimmy. Jimmy's going to have his way with him in the low post. Porter doesn't have the foot speed. Gordon could be an option, um, but may also be a little too slow. Um, And if he guards him and they start both Bam and Kevin Love, then you have to move Porter up to one of those guys and you know, he has a you know, ability to get punished on the glass. So it's going to be fascinating just to see how they guard Butler and how aggressive Butler is from the start. Because I think he has to set the tone. Now, you play a hard-fought seven-game series, not just one that was a normal back and forth, or an emotional roller coaster going up 3-0, then tied, and then and, and finally winning it. Going into Denver, a team that has not lost there in the playoffs, I struggle to think game one will be remotely contest. I think... Denver pulls away. So it's going to be about game two. They have to get game two. I think if you go down 2-0 versus the Nuggets, you're done. Uh, so game two is effectively a must-win for the Heat. Yeah. Already going in, you know that. They need to win one of those two in Denver. Um, and the other issue for Miami, honestly, is they're they're going to be playing, like, like I said, Duncan Robinson, Kevin Love, uh, and Murray, like last series, will go matchup hunting they will try to put those guys in unfavorable situations slow-footed and if they're not providing the offensive juice that they're on the court for it becomes they become unplayable but at that point miami doesn't have that much kind of roster flexibility to really you know yeah you have cody zeller you can bring him out um 
but the rest of your lineup is a lot of guards and a lot of smaller players, and so and that's not going to work. So they don't have a lot of cards in their hand. Mm-hmm. I think they need to win just on good shooting, Jimmy being Jimmy, and mucking up Denver's offense enough. And, you know, they do pose a unique challenge, I think, to Denver's offense um, in some ways. Denver played, like, think about who they played, right? They played Minnesota. Fine, whatever. I don't, you know, not much there. Uh, they played Phoenix, who has its deficiencies defensively. And as good as LA is, I still think that they've got soft points in, in different areas. And, and they're, they're a good collective defensive unit, but not a lot of individual stout defenders outside of Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis kind of saves a lot of things that they do. So I, I think Miami, just the the frenetic kind of energy they pay with, the way they get into passing lanes, they can disrupt that smooth flow that Denver typically likes to operate in. But I also think we're overthinking it. I think Denver is just going to be fine offensively. And to me, this series is going to be really hard for Miami to win. Yeah, I mean, look, we cannot give Miami enough credit for what they've done. Right. So I, to me, I don't want to take away from that and make it seem like they have no chance. They absolutely have a chance. Like they just went through the Bucs and the Celtics, like you said, the two betting favorites in the East and in the NBA. And two months ago when the playoffs started, if you said the team that beat those teams would be favored, like the Nuggets were the second best favorite in their own conference. Like the Suns had a bit, uh, higher odds and they actually were favored in the game versus in the series versus the, the Nuggets. So some of this is revisionist history. Some of it is like adapting for new information. It doesn't feel like Denver has a weakness that can be exploited for four wins in a series, especially versus the Heat, which are a flawed team, uh, despite being a very, very hot team. And all year we talked about how much parity there was. There were really no great teams. I think we've kind of seen that, right? Like the Nuggets may be the best of the group. I don't know if that I if I would qualify them as great. They're certainly not a historical great. But, you know, they're also 12-3 and three in the playoffs thus far. So they've been somewhat of a machine. And, you know, the one loss in the first series when they were up 3-0. And, you know, they didn't lose versus the Lakers. So there's a lot that they have going for them. I just – so I guess we can get to predictions. I have Nuggets in five. I'm going to go Nuggets in six. I'm going to okay. give a little respect to Miami. I'll give them an extra game. Uh, I think the way it goes is – Denver wins game one. Miami wins game two. Denver wins. I think Miami will pull one out in Miami. And then Denver closes them out in five and six. Uh, And that's just out of respect for what Miami has been able to do at this point. And I do think that a lot of these teams that have never been to the finals or like for Denver, this is their first kind of true year of contention in the finals. I think they end up as dominant as they've looked. They might give up an extra game. So I say six, but easily could be five. Don't think it'll go. Definitely won't go longer than that. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to look like such an idiot. I've picked against the Heat every series uh, this playoffs, including the most stupidly, uh, the pick the freaking Knicks, uh, thinking that they were kind of going to build something. Um, So all that to be said, I may not know anything about what I'm talking about, but I've also picked the Nuggets, I believe, every series. So... This is like unstoppable force meets immovable object here. I almost predicted Nuggets in four. Because here's the thing, right? Like, if you look at the Celtics series, just take that one. And even the Bucks series. Those two teams suck late game. This, in the playoffs at least. And especially, like, with the Bucks without Chris Middleton at full form and with the Celtics with whatever was going on. They struggled down the stretch. They gave up big leads. You know, the Celtics were up by 10 in game two. They were up in early part of game one, the Nuggets just have good late game execution enough, at least, especially when their guys are not gassed. Like, and they're, they're going to be super fresh. They're going to be playing at home in high altitude versus a team on short rest. Who've been traveling all over the damn country. I just don't see a world in which the Nuggets are going to lose really at all at home. And I expect them to go up two zero. I actually expect them to go up three zero. Miami wins game four Nuggets close it out at home. Gentleman sweep for Jokic's first title. Yeah, I I can see that. I just I may be off. Tell me I'm an idiot. No, no, know. you're not an idiot. I mean, I think most people are picking them in five. So that's not that's definitely the I think consensus. 
I, I, there, I mean, look, do you remember the 2015 Golden State Warriors? Yep. There was, you know, people forget that's a 67 win team. Um, and they didn't have that much problem or trouble in the Western playoffs that year. Then they went and played the Cavs um, without Kyrie. Kyrie got injured game one without Kevin Love. That series still went six. There, it's just it's very easy in the finals to like really take a really good offense, muck it up. I think Miami's built to do that, and they've got a guy kind of like LeBron in that series, Jimmy, who can get a game maybe two just on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think it'll be a little bit more challenging for Denver. I don't think it's going to be as smooth sailing as it's looked all postseason. Um, and and you know, to, we saw the the Lakers series; those games were close. It could have been, you know, it makes you look back at it and it's like, oh, they swept them. They went through the postseason pretty easily so far. But I do yeah. think Miami has enough to make this interesting. Yeah, the Lakers sweep was anything but a typical sweep. Uh, Miami will make this an ugly series. I mean, it was an absolute rock fight yesterday. The freaking Celtics scored 84 points, was it, on their home floor in a game seven? Um and look, Denver's offense has spells, like you said, where they're not operating a peak efficiency. They also put up like a 43-point quarter on you, like you don't even know what's happening. And so it kind of balances out to end up with like 115, 120 a game. I don't yeah. know. The moment is there for them. This is like, how could you ask for it? But they've played the, an 8 seed, a 4 seed that was put together two months ago, a 7 seed, and now an 8 seed. So you're talking about the Miami heat winning this title would probably be the most impressive title ever won, which is the statement I'm going to make here. <laughs> the nuggets title run is not littered with like teams. We're going to be remembering for a long time. Yeah, so, that's true. But you know, it's, you look at the seeds like that, but at the same time we were talking about Phoenix as a really good team. LA is a really good team. So I think it's doing them a disservice to call them a, the four seed the seventh seed when in reality, those teams were actually pretty good. The other thing I didn't mention is that Denver, you never want to take anything from the regular season, but they are 10 and two. I think the Jokic versus the bam, Jimmy iteration of Miami. Um, they're 10 and two against them. Not, you know, you don't want to put too much stock in into that. Three but, years. Six huh? and oh in the last three years. Yeah. Six and oh in the last three years. It's one of those stats where I wouldn't read it too much in that way. If Miami was like 10 to the other way, then you kind of look at it and wonder, hmm, I wonder why. But, but yeah, that's just one extra tidbit that. But you know, Miami in the regular season is not the same juggernaut. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I are you, let me ask this. Are you excited? Yeah. Are you excited about this finals given that this is thrilled. Adam Silver's worst nightmare? I'm absolutely thrilled. And I was actually thinking about this. I was walking the dog, kind of having my me time. Me and, me and Winston we were just sort of walking, cruising down the road. And I was thinking about, uh, maybe I was listening to an NBA podcast, and I was just kind of thinking about, I think maybe ratings even came up, and that statement was made, this is Adam Silver's worst nightmare. I was like, we always talk about that, and I do genuinely care about like the, the, the ratings, and I'm like, why? Like, what is the impact on whether, you know, 5 million or 6 million people watch a game? But we still care, because it's almost like we're stewards of the game, despite actually not being involved in it directly. We want the game to grow, but I think this is going to be a fascinating series, right? Because as much as I pick Denver in five and I expect them to roll, I'm willingly accepting that I'm probably way off of what's going to actually happen. And it's going to be a bloodbath seven game series with both teams throwing haymakers and stylistic differences. Like this is what you love. You got guys who are there for the first time. Aside from Lowry and KCP, everyone's a first time champion. If it goes through, that's what you want. You want new stars kind of reaching the mountaintop especially a guy like Jokic who historically could go down as one of the 20 greatest players of all time. Like this is the moment that we got with Giannis and Phoenix a couple of years ago, the legacy defining series like this. If you love basketball, you're going to love not just the stylistic, um, you know, the aesthetics of this series, but also the, the sort of how it matters in the grand scheme of, of league history, which, you know, is something we always think about alongside what's happening in the now. Absolutely. And we can, it's either Jokic, his kind of career gets validated to a certain extent, even though he's, I mean, there's, there's no need for validation given how good he's been so far. But also Jimmy Butler, who 
we talked about his, how we remember him. Like this puts him in another stratosphere if he wins a title, and especially in this way. Uh, so I, I think you're right. Like just the legacies at, on the line are interesting and impactful, even if these aren't big market teams or guys who are typically typically here year in and year out. The the ratings thing is interesting, right? I think two reasons why we care so much. One is there's an inferi- inferiority complex with NFL fans, with people always saying the NBA, you know, the people who hate on the NBA. So it's like always have to justify that it's it is still doing well. And then also I think there's always a little bit of part of us that we see things, a lot of things we don't like. The flopping, the star movement. And there's I think part of us is always worried that the NBA is not in a good position and the ratings just validate that and it's only going downhill and it's a sport we love. So I do agree we talk about the ratings too much, but um, you're right. I think we need to sometimes just step back and realize that this is going to be a good bas- good basketball. Two teams that are easy to root for. One, Denver, just how beautiful that offense is. And Miami's a gritty, underdog-type team. Like Either one, whoever you root for, whoever wins, is a great story. And there's no insufferable fan base that's going to win. Nuggets fans, totally fine. Heat fans, you never hear from them. So don't exist. That to me is a big like factor, right? Yeah. Last year it was the Warriors or the Celtics, which is probably the worst. Warriors or Celtics were. I was ready to blow my brains out that whole series. Yes. Yeah, and for the last fifteen years, I would say at least twelve out of those fifteen had an insufferable fan base. The only ones not were Milwaukee, um, Toronto, maybe, and like one other. Right. So if you think about, uh, to your point, if you think about matchups where both aren't, it's really just Milwaukee versus Phoenix, right? Like if Phoenix really an insufferable fan base, they've never even won an NBA title. Yeah. You could argue Chris Paul has some insufferable fans, but for the most part, like that's a fairly inoffensive group of people. And even the LeBron teams, you know, LeBron fans are insufferable at the very least. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I wasn't putting that into the, into the questionable group. Yeah. Cause the funny thing is the Heat have somehow positioned themselves as this like underdog, like happy-go-lucky team when they're one of the most powerful, dominant franchises of the last 25 years. Yeah, They won with Wade and Shaq. They went to the finals four times with the Heatles, won twice. This is now their second finals trip under the Butler regime. So this is a team that's perpetually extremely successful, yet we don't feel that... Um, I don't know. We don't feel that like animosity because they don't really have a long history and they don't have any fans. So I guess that's why <laughs> it's the fans, man. It's like, you don't hear people just touting the heat success, right? Whereas Boston continues to talk about a championship 15 years ago um, and milking that for as much as it's worth. The Jokic love has taken new heights. Um, we always talk about Q rating of guys and Giannis in 2021 was about as high as you can get because he's also so likable. I don't think Jokic with the title can get to those heights just because Giannis is more publicly known. But after everything he went through with all the shit, the Embiid fans and everybody was giving him the last two years with like early playoff losses and whatnot to then go on this run, if he caps it with the title and, you know, presumably finals MVP, the blog boys are going to take this thing to a whole nother level that we have not seen. I'm just telling you right now. It is going as much as I love Jokic, I almost have to turn it off when people are like going too hard on him because I'm like, yeah, I get it. The guy's amazing. He's been amazing. But like the the that level actually, of superlative is is getting out of control. You have a good point. There'll be a corner of the blog sphere, Twitter sphere that's gonna be insufferable about Jokic. And uh, it's like, okay, we get it. We all know he's good. They um, already are insufferable in a way. And I'm telling you this is he's one of my favorite players in the league, and I feel like annoyed by how much they go in on him. Yeah. So we'll see. But you know what? I'm excited. Thursday, game one. Um, should be good. Should be good. And I think, you know, the Heat, they're going to be fine. They're not going to be tired. They're not going to be – they're going to have already somehow figured out how to deal with the altitude. Like nothing phases them. So it's just going to be two great teams going at it, and it won't be – I'll say this much. I don't think the title will be won or lost by anything other than great performance. It's not going to be guys choking. It's not going to be guys shine for the moment, except Bam. All right. Well, that's a wrap for us. You got Nuggets in six. I got Nuggets in five. We'll see how things kick off. Game one, tomorrow, uh, Thursday night. Game two, Sunday night. So we may come back before game three, or we may come back after game three. So we'll be pretty far into the series, and – 
we'll do uh, rapid reactions of all that we're seeing. So please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on all social media platforms. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.